0: following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources visit www.shore.org.nz. Well this morning is Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter and I want to look with you this morning at the story that's often told on Palm Sunday, the story of Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem. And the reason that this story is usually told on Palm Sunday is because this story happens on the first day of the week leading up to the day that Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified on the Friday and uh, this event most probably happened on the Sunday leading up to that week. And really this event, this story formed a catalyst for the events that then unfolded that led towards Jesus' crucifixion. In some ways, the events of this day uh, set in motion a chain of events that led towards Jesus' death and then his resurrection. So this is a pretty important story. Uh, It's an important story in the unfolding of Jesus' life uh, and an important story as we, we focus and prepare ourselves for the events of Easter weekend. So we're gonna look at the story from the Gospel of Luke this morning in Luke chapter 19. The story is told in all four of the Gospels, uh, but we'll focus on Luke's telling of the story. And as Luke begins his account of this story, we have Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. So Jesus has been traveling with his disciples and he's been approaching the city of Jerusalem, stopping various places on the way, and he comes finally to the Mount of Olives. Uh, this is a place reasonably close to the city of Jerusalem, a hill where you can look over the city. And this is Jesus' final stop before entering the city of Jerusalem. And so he rests there for a while. And while he's there, he says to his disciples, says to two of them, uh, I want you to go into one of the nearby villages and find a donkey that is tied up. And I want you to untie it and bring it back to me. And if the owner of the donkey asks any questions about that, just say, The Lord. Has need of it. And so these two disciples go off and do what Jesus has told them to do. And uh, amazingly enough, the owner of the donkey doesn't ask any questions. Uh, He lets them have the donkey. And I wonder if that guy, the owner of the donkey, was possibly so intrigued by what was going on that uh, maybe he joined in and and followed along and was so intrigued with who this Lord was that uh, the disciples were bringing the donkey to. So they bring the donkey to Jesus and they place their cloaks on this donkey. And they put Jesus on the donkey, and they begin their journey from the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem. Now, I've been to this area uh, in Israel, outside the city of Jerusalem, and walked that road from the Mount of Olives uh, across to the old city of Jerusalem. And obviously, it's not the same path today. Now it's all a nice, concreted path. But it's still a reasonably steep hill at times, going down the Mount of Olives And then you have to get across the valley at the bottom, the Kidron Valley, and then you come up the other side into the the old city of Jerusalem. And Jesus would have had to zigzag his way across this this hill to get down and then up the other side. It would have been a reasonably long journey for him, uh, especially on a donkey. So this would have taken some time. And as Jesus is, is moving towards the city and preparing to enter the city, a massive crowd come out of Jerusalem and start to form this procession around Jesus. And and they make a pathway for him. And they they take their cloaks and they lay them down on the ground before Jesus. And that was a sign that a a great dignitary is approaching the city. This would often happen if, if the emperor or some important official was coming to your city, the people would come out of the city, they would lay their cloaks down as a way of preparing for the arrival of this VIP. And that's what these people are doing, that they're welcoming uh, an important dignitary, who is Jesus, into their city. And as Jesus comes uh, into the city of Jerusalem, he comes through this massive crowd, the people start shouting, they start cheering. And the words they say, Luke records them here uh, in verse 38 they say, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, those are not just random words. That these people are saying they're not just pulling these words out of thin air those words come from the old testament they're taken from the book of psalms psalm 118 and that psalm had a very particular place within israel's history psalm 118 was one of the psalms that was used for the enthronement of a king so every year in israel in the old testament you have a king and every year, his enthronement would be reenacted. Even though he's still the king, you'd have this enthronement ceremony. And he would lead a great procession of people into the city of Jerusalem, exactly the same path that Jesus follows here. And as the king moves on his, his animal, a horse, a donkey, or whatever, comes into the city, the people would start cheering. And they would start singing the words of this psalm, these exact words, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, and words of other psalms as well. And this would be the way people would use to declare the fact that this is our king. This is our leader. He is God's chosen king. He's the one we're looking to for for leadership and guidance. He's the one through whom God is leading us. And so the kingship of this person would be affirmed, and they would be re-enthroned, in a sense, every year. This was an annual festival. So you've got a bunch of people here in Jerusalem who are very familiar with this ceremony. And when you see this crowd, and you look at this procession, and you see people using those exact words from Psalm 118 to declare Jesus as the king, you can see exactly what kind of story this is. This is an enthronement ceremony for Jesus. This is an enthronement ceremony for King Jesus. That's what these people are doing. They're declaring Jesus to be their king. They're wanting him to be their true and rightful king. They're affirming that he is the true king of Israel, indeed the the king of the whole world. And they're seeking to enthrone him to, to affirm that place that he has as the true and rightful king overall. That's the kind of picture that Luke is painting here. Now, in one sense, the people got this right, didn't they? In one sense, that's exactly right. Jesus is the king. He's the king overall. The people knew that. They recognized that. But in another sense, Jesus is a totally different kind of king to the one anyone was expecting. And as the events of that week play out, and the events of that Easter week unfold, you start to see just what a different kind of king Jesus really is. What people wanted was for Jesus to take the reins of power. What people wanted was for Jesus to take political power, for him to take military power, for him to take governmental power, for him to immediately start raising up an army, recruiting an army, and and dealing with the very real threat that Israel was faced with, which was the Roman Empire. They wanted a king who would defeat these Roman invaders and get them out of the land so that Israel could be a great and independent nation again. That's the king they were expecting. But as the events of that week unfolded, it became clear Jesus is a totally different kind of king. He didn't try and unseat those in positions of political leadership within Judaism. In fact, he was arrested by the Jewish leaders and put on trial. Uh, He didn't overthrow the Roman government, but he was handed over to the Roman government, and he was put on trial by them, and eventually he was sentenced to be executed by the Roman government. And as those final hours leading up to Jesus' death unfolded, we get the clearest picture of what kind of king Jesus truly is. He received a royal robe to wear. He was given this this purple robe. Purple's the color of royalty. Jesus received a royal robe, but it wasn't given to honor him. It was given to shame him. It was given to humiliate him. There was a crown placed on his head, but it wasn't a royal crown. It was a crown of thorns to torture and humiliate him. Jesus did lead a procession, but it wasn't a procession to honor him. It was a procession towards Golgotha. It was a procession in which he was forced to carry his own cross. And the crowd that had shouted, Blessed be the king, a few days prior, were now jeering and mocking and and taunting him and spitting on him. Jesus was surrounded by Roman soldiers, but they weren't there to protect him. They were there to mock him. They were there to carry out his crucifixion. And finally, as Jesus arrives at that place of Golgotha, he comes to rest upon his throne. But the throne of this king is not a golden throne in a palace somewhere. It's a cross. And it's from the cross that King Jesus begins to reign. That's how extraordinary the death of Jesus really is when you think about it. If you were there that day, if you were at that scene of Jesus' crucifixion and you looked on, it would have looked like any other crucifixion. The Romans crucified thousands of people. This would have just been another ugly end to some peasant who got on the wrong side of the Roman government. But for those who have the eyes to see, for those who had the eyes of faith to see what was going on, they could recognize that as Jesus hung there that day, suffering, bleeding, and dying, this was the enthronement of the world's true king. It didn't look like it, but that's exactly what it was. Because on the cross, Jesus won a victory over an enemy far greater than any empire, any ruler, any any nation, any army. He won a victory over the evil one. He won a victory over the devil, the one who held all of humanity in the grip of death since the fall of the first human beings. But Jesus broke the hold that Satan had on humanity. He robbed him of his territory, robbed him of his power, robbed him of his dominion, robbed him of his kingdom, robbed him of his ultimate authority, and set up his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, in the midst of, in the face of, the kingdom of darkness. Jesus defeated sin. He defeated the devil. He defeated every power and principality that stands against the rule of God. In fact, the Bible says that he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus won a decisive victory over all the forces of evil on the cross. And because of that victory, he was crowned as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he received authority not just over a territory... Not just over one group of people, not just over a nation, not just one part of the world, but over all things, over all creation, over the entire universe. Jesus from the cross was crowned the king above all kings. Leslie Newbegin says, The reign of God has indeed come upon us, and its sign is not a golden throne, but a wooden cross. It is from the cross that King Jesus began to reign. And only those with the eyes of faith can truly see it. So when you come back to the story, this Palm Sunday story, you can see that what this is, the whole story really is just a precursor to the the real enthronement of Jesus that was coming a few days later in his passion, his suffering, and his death. This This is just a foretaste of what that real coronation of the true king would be like. And even though this crowd recognized Jesus as the true and rightful king, nobody really could have anticipated exactly what was going to happen from here and what kind of king Jesus truly would be. Jesus is not the king that any of us expected, but he's exactly the king that we need because he alone has won a victory over all the forces of evil, a victory that has brought us Freedom and forgiveness and reconciliation with God. Jesus is truly the king that we need. So the question then becomes, as you come back to the story, the the real question for us becomes, how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond to this king? And as you look at the story, there are two different responses that you can see here from two different groups of people. Have a look at this. The first is the disciples. Here is the way that Jesus follows the disciples responded. In verse uh, 37, it says, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they'd seen. So here's a group of people. They don't fully understand everything that's going on. They couldn't anticipate everything that was going to come. They didn't have all the answers, but they recognized, they recognized that Jesus was the true and rightful King. They could see that. And as a result, they gave him praise. They cried out in these loud voices, lifting up a shout of praise. And when Jesus was challenged about this, about all of his disciples crying out in praise, he he says in verse 40, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now that I think is a little anticipation of something that the Old Testament talks about, Isaiah and others, looking towards the day when all of creation will give praise to God. All of creation Will, will unite in glorifying Jesus as the king of kings. The, the, the fields will clap their hands, Isaiah says. The mountains will, will leap with joy. All of creation, the rocks and stones will cry out. The whole cosmos declaring that Jesus is the true king of kings. There's a little taste here, I think, of that final day. But the point is that God wants those who are willing in the present to recognize the kingship of Jesus, not waiting for that day when it's too late, but recognizing in the present that Jesus is the true and rightful king. And let's be honest, sometimes that's not easy. Sometimes you look around, it's not always easy to recognize Jesus as the king. I mean, you look around at the moment in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic, and it seems like things are pretty chaotic. It seems like in many ways the world is out of control. It doesn't always look like Jesus is in charge. It doesn't always look like he's the king. We we see confusion. We see uncertainty. We see anxiety. And we see chaos. And we wonder how is Jesus in charge in all of this? But even so, those with the eyes of faith, followers of Jesus, even in the midst of this situation, can look up and say, Jesus is still the king, even in this. Jesus is still the Lord. He's still on the throne, even in the midst of this pandemic. He's still got the world in his hands. He's got this. He is in control. He knows what he is doing. He didn't bring this all about, but you better believe he's working in the midst of it all for the good of those who love him to move his purposes forward and reveal his will and his kingdom. There is light coming about in the darkness, and Jesus is still King of kings and Lord of all, even in the midst of COVID-19. Back in 2001, after the uh, terrorist attacks of 9-11, there was a worship leader named Matt Redmond who was traveling around the United States and he was leading worship in a few different churches there. And he was suddenly faced with this task of leading worship in churches that were grieving deeply and struggling massively because of the tragedy of what had happened in these terrorist attacks. And reflecting on this later, Matt Redmond talks about how he struggled in that time to find songs that really gave voice to, to the grief that people were feeling, but, but still the hope that they wanted to place in Christ as their true king. And out of that struggle, out of, out of the turmoil of that time, Matt Redmond wrote a song. It's become a well-known song. It's called Blessed Be Your Name. We sing it at shore sometimes, and you heard it this morning on the recording. And it's a song that captures the different seasons of life. Blessed Be Your Name, when the sun's shining down on me. When the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. We bless God in the good times. In some ways, it's easy to bless God in those times, isn't it? Because things are good, things are going well, and we want to give praise to God. But then the next verse says, blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. When there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Now, that's much harder. That's much harder to say when things are falling apart, when life gets hard, when we feel the squeeze, to be able to say, even on the road marked with suffering, Blessed be your name. And the bridge to that song that Matt Matt Redmond wrote very simply says, you give and take away. Difficult words to say, difficult words to hear. And he had apparently people coming up to him after he'd sung that song saying, you can't say that. You you can't say, you can't sing these words in church. You give and take away. But he reminded them those are not his words. Those are words that come from the Bible. Those are words that come from the book of Job. Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, no matter what the circumstances... No matter how difficult it gets, whether I'm going through good times or really difficult times, I can still look up and declare that Jesus is king and I can give praise to his name. Now that's not always easy to do, but that's the challenge that we find ourselves in in the midst of the situation, being able to say whatever the circumstances, no matter how difficult it gets, even if it gets worse before it gets better, we can still recognize Jesus is the king. We can still lift up a shout of praise and declare his lordship his authority, his kingship in the midst of all we're going through and even in the chaos and the confusion, to say, blessed be the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's who Jesus is. We've got to be able to recognize him as the king. Now, there's another response that came to the kingship of Jesus. And it's a much more tragic and sad response. Look at the response of the Pharisees in verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now these Pharisees, these are supposed to be the leaders of Israel. These are supposed to be the people that are in charge and leading well and leading wisely. And yet these are the guys that completely fail to recognize and fail to see what's going on. They're just concerned with the massive ruckus that the crowd is making. They're just concerned with the fact that there's too much chaos going on and and, and too much uh, shouting and yelling going on, they can't see the king that is in their midst. They're so concerned with keeping the public order, they can't see the presence of the king of kings right in front of them. And they miss it. They miss Jesus. They miss what's going on. And this is why in verse 41, the whole tone of this passage changes. And suddenly the mood changes from one of celebration and, and jubilation to one of sorrow and lament. And Jesus just starts weeping. He starts crying he, he, he as he approaches Jerusalem, weeps over the city. And he says, if you had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? In other words, if, you, if you'd only known how you could find real peace if you'd only known who it was that was standing in your midst, if you had only known where you could find eternal life. There's no way you'd be shutting this down. You'd be encouraging it. You'd be joining in. You'd be praising God along with these disciples. But you've missed it. And now you're cut off. You're cutting yourselves off from what God is doing. Jesus weeps over the city. He weeps over the Pharisees. He weeps over those who fail to recognize who he is. And in our world today, there's many, many people who still fail to recognize Jesus as the King. They're they're good people, they're educated people, they're smart people, but they don't recognize the King who is among us, the King who is reigning over us. And just as Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem, Jesus continues to weep over those in the present world who refuse to acknowledge him as king. Jesus is not sitting up there in heaven with some smug look on his face saying, well, I'm just going to smite you and you're going to get what you deserve after all. No, Jesus is weeping over those who don't know him. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you don't have a real living relationship with him, I want you to know Jesus right now is weeping over you. And I don't say that. To, to manipulate you emotionally in any way. I just I just want you to know and understand that Jesus is not there to to lecture you or condemn you. Jesus is weeping over you because his heart is broken. That you that you're rejecting his love. His heart is broken that you're refusing to acknowledge who he is. Because what he wants more than anything else is not just to rule over you. He wants relationship with you. He wants to be the king who draws you to himself. He's not just your king. He's your loving father. And he wants to know you in a deep, personal, and intimate way. And when you stand at a distance from that and refuse to acknowledge Jesus as king, his heart is heavy, his heart is broken, and he weeps over you just as he wept over those Pharisees you know the good news is though you don't have to remain one of those Pharisees if that's who you are and if that's where you are you don't have to stay in that in that position those Pharisees made their choice but you've got your choice to make today and I want to encourage you I want to I want to urge you if you've never recognized Jesus before as the king of kings you can recognize him today you can acknowledge him today and you can join that procession of disciples today. Don't stay with the Pharisees. You can join that procession of Jesus' followers today, laying down before Jesus, not not a cloak, but laying down your life. That's what he asks of you, that you'd lay down your life and entrust it to him as you acknowledge Jesus to be the true and rightful king of all. So I just want to leave you with that question today. I want you to think about the story and, and ask yourself, if you were there that day, if you were there as Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day on a donkey, where would you be in this story? Who would you be in this story? Would you be one of the Pharisees that just stood at a distance and rebuked it all and challenged it all and criticized it all and and failed to recognize the king in your midst? Or would you be one of the disciples? Would you be one of Jesus' followers? Are you willing to be one of those followers today? Are you willing to be one of those who who lays your life down before the King of Kings to welcome him, welcome him into your life, not keep him at a distance, but welcome him into your home, welcome him into your heart? Are you willing to recognize who he is, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? Are you willing to respond by giving praise, giving worship to him, lifting up a shout of praise and saying to him, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus' desire is that every person would truly recognize who he is as the world's true and rightful king. And I pray today that you would be among those who don't miss out on the coming of the king, who don't fail to see who Jesus truly is, can recognize him, even in the midst of this crazy time, even in the midst of all this turmoil that we're going through at the moment, that you, God, would open your eyes to give you the faith to recognize Jesus is still the King, even in this, even today, even right here and right now. He is the King. I pray you'd be able to recognize that. I pray you'd welcome him. I pray you'd give him praise and that we would be able to join with all creation in saying and shouting out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. So Jesus, we do acknowledge you as our king today and not just our king. You are the true and rightful king over all things, king of creation. You're the king over history. You're the king of the whole universe. Jesus, you have all authority. And today we want to just say, Lord, we recognize you. And like those people 2,000 years ago, we don't have all the answers. And we we don't know everything that we might want to know about you, Jesus. And we don't know exactly how things are going to play out. But Jesus, we can see you as the king arriving into our lives, into our world, and coming to bring your kingdom even in the midst of the present darkness. So we acknowledge you as King today, Jesus. We give you praise. We give you our worship. We give you our hearts. And we acknowledge that you are ruling. You are reigning. Help us to look. Help us to see where you are at work and join you in that. We love you, Jesus. We declare you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords this morning. And it's in your mighty and precious name that we pray these things. Amen.